0: Easy, I'm Sam Fergoso. Welcome to the show. Today I'm joined by actor and musician Alana Haim. Alana is one-third of the pop rock band Haim, created by her and her two older sisters, Danielle and Esty Hyam. Since creating the group in 2007, they've released three records to public and critical acclaim, including Days Are Gone, Something to Tell You, and Women in Music Part 3. They've also toured throughout the U.S. and abroad, and were recently nominated at the Grammys for Best Rock Performance for the Steps and Album of the Year, making them the first all-female band to be up for that award each of the three sisters and their parents appear in the new film licorice pizza directed by paul thomas anderson in it alana plays alana kane a rudderless 25 year old living with her parents working as a photo assistant in the san fernando valley circa 1973 it's on the job at a high school photo picture day that we meet alana there She meets Gary Valentine, played by Cooper Hoffman, son of the late great actor Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was a recurring figure in Anderson's filmography. But here, back in this scene, Cooper plays Gary, this precocious 15-year-old who, after a protracted conversation with Alana, waiting in line for his class photo, invites on a date. She rebuffs his advances, but then, later, says yes to dinner. After sharing a meal, they walk and talk. Here's a little bit from that scene from Licorice Pizza, now out in theaters. If I asked for your phone number, would you give it to me?
3: Why should I give you my phone number?
0: So I can call you?
3: I don't know, Gary. Why not? How are you going to remember it? It's only seven numbers. 758-4686. 756-4686. 758-4686.
0: Alright, Don Rickles.
3: Don't call me all the time, okay? We're not boyfriend and girlfriend. Remember that.
0: Even in that brief clip, you can hear the film's beating heart. As writer Lauren Wilford describes Licorice Pizza is a warm tribute to a kind of relationship we stuff in the back of a mental drawer, the ill-advised crush turned achingly mutual, transmuted not into a romantic relationship, but into an ambiguous, charged entanglement. And it's that charged entanglement that powers the film. And most of its voltage comes from Alana's dynamic performance, her first, by the way, in a feature film. We talk about that in this conversation, but we also walk through the parts of herself she saw in this character. Growing up in the valley, falling in love, how the stars aligned in the making of this movie, and what she hopes for herself and Chaim in the year ahead. I hope you enjoy.
3: didn't eat breakfast okay, great. and now I'm realizing I didn't eat breakfast. I had coffee. Coffee for breakfast. Okay. You had a cookie. It's fine. And I had a cookie. You're gonna be great.
0: Okay. We're definitely not gonna put this in there. <laughs> um, Alana Alanaheim. Hi. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be here. I'm very excited.
0: You came all the way out to Highland Park.
3: I did. I love Highland Park. I live in, in on the east side. This is just a hop, skip and a jump.
0: No one ever says that when they come here. It's, really? al- it's always like a big journey for everyone.
3: Oh no, I love it.
0: This whole movie you're in and your part in it, I know it's a whirlwind, but I think to understand how this even happened, we have to go back to the late 70s, early 80s, where your mother, who's in her early 20s, moves from Philadelphia to California and gets a job assisting an art teacher at a private school in Sherman Oaks called the Buckley School. What happens next?
3: A very crazy thing happened. So my mother got this job assisting a teacher at Buckley because she needed hours for her credential. And one day she was assisting this very lovely older woman. The said woman had a heart attack in the parking lot of the school and unfortunately passed away in the parking lot how paul describes buckley and i've i've had conversations with him is that a lot of the teachers at buckley were older had like gray hair you know i feel like if you search clip art teacher on like word it's like an old lady with like gray hair and like a ruler maybe
0: those are the teachers at those the are the
3: teachers at buckley at that time uh, my mom was in her early 20s and i guess in the school system here, you don't actually need a teaching credential to teach in private school, which is telling. a little crazy. <laughs> Did not know that. <laughs> and instead of finding a certified teacher, they just asked my mother if she would just join the team, be mm-hmm. the teacher. And my mom, of course, was like, yeah, for sure. It's a pay raise. I'm actually going to get paid. And all I want to do is teach. And so my mom completely transformed the classroom almost overnight, like brought her record player in, her instruments, her guitar that she had gotten when she was 16. It was this Yamaha nylon string that she had gotten and she had saved. I remember she used to tell me that she used to take old bicycle tires and cut them up and make stamps out of them. That was like a big, you know, art project that she loved doing every year. She was resourceful. Super resourceful. Super like hippie mom, like loved just letting her kids that she taught run free and one of her students was paul thomas anderson he was very young he was like six seven or eight and she always talked about how paul was super just really creative like she could never tell him what to do it was like okay we're making stamps out of bicycle tires and he would be off somewhere just doing whatever he wanted and and she loved that she loved any sort of creativity
0: and he was kind of in love with her
3: i mean he says that (laughs) I don't know if he's actually in love with my mom. I mean, I think the thing is that my mom was so completely different to all the teachers that were at Buckley. She looked like me, and in comparison to the clip art version of a teacher, my mom probably looked like an angel to a young Paul Thomas Anderson. But she was Miss Rose. She wasn't Miss Hime. She hadn't even met my dad yet, which is like, come on, for a name for an art teacher, Miss Perfect. Rose. It's like Miss Honey. Yeah. It's Lily Matilda.
0: So when you grew up and you all would be watching his early movies wouldn't she be commenting on them like? totally
3: i mean we would watch like the tbs version of boogie nights which is like the really? highly edited version like, <laughs> I, I think, think it's like 10 like minutes, minutes long, long yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like 10 minutes long i can't even imagine it now but it's very highly edited and bleeped and you know a lot of you know sensory but anytime we would see anything about paul even in the news or, you know, if he had a movie coming out, we'd always, my mom would always be like, I taught him, you know, I taught him. And there was never really like evidence. Like there was a yearbook that, you know, Paul was in it. And so was my mom. And like, we could assume that my mom taught him, but like, I'm always just like, come on, mom. Like, did you actually teach him?
0: The three of you were skeptical though?
3: Very skeptical. I mean, we're always skeptical about anything, but yeah, no, when we eventually one day, we got a call from my friend Asa Chacon, who's an electric guest, this band Electric Guest, who actually gave me my first job. One of my first jobs when I was 16 was to sing jingles for companies, and I would get $50 a session, which was a big deal. For a 16-year-old to have $50 was do, like... Do you remember any of the jingles? For Comcast, it was C-O-M-C-A-S-T. <laughs> that's what i would do at 16 cause I, I mean i didn't get an allowance my parents weren't giving me money and like of course you know i wanted to get into some trouble so having 50 dollars as a 16 year old was i don't know i don't know where i'm going i, I don't even know where the jingle is like can i it's tell you somewhere it's
0: on this podcast now.
3: it's now it's on this podcast but you know no i would show up and and i would get 50 dollars at the end of the session but asa uh, then eventually dollars 50 dollars That's so much money. That's too much money for a 16-year-old.
0: I think they were ripping you off.
3: Oh, I was like so excited.
0: $50 for Comcast?
3: I guess. I don't even really... What is Comcast? (laughs) I don't even really know what it is. Maybe I should go back and sue them for child labor. Um,
0: They're actually a sponsor of the show. Oh,
3: shit. We love Comcast. It's a complete lie. Okay, good. (laughs) So Asa Called us one day and said, Paul Thomas Anderson reached out to me because this is how Paul explains it. Paul, I guess, had heard forever on the radio and he had looked at our liner notes and had seen that we had thanked Asa on our first record because he had gave me my first job. So we thanked. I mean, I also love him, but he, we thanked him on our record. And Paul knew Asa through The Lonely Island because Asa's brother is Yorma Tacone, and then called us through Asa and was like, you know hi, I am. Give them my email, which is a crazy and Asa got us the email and it took us like three days to message him back, not because we didn't want to, but just because we didn't know what to say. Like, what do? You, how do you write an email to like an icon? You're like, OK. And then finally we emailed him and he had invited us to his house in Tarzana and we showed up and, and really like we really weren't going to tell him about mom because... My mom is a baby angel. Like, she honest, it's so hard to hate my mom. But I grew up hating all my teachers. Like, I hated authority. And so I was just like, maybe we shouldn't tell Paul because who knows? He might have not liked mom. And we showed up and Esty immediately just said, hi, uh, my mom taught you. And he was like, was your mom? Because he kind of felt the same way. Like, oh, God, who is your I hated all my teachers. And we said my mom was Miss Rose. And he said... No way. And his eyes brightened and he went into his son's room and he took out this painting of the mounds from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And he's like, I painted this with your mom and I've kept it all these years. And that was like the beginning of our friendship was he was like, I loved your mom. And then we obviously talked about the valley for 15 million hours and music and everything. And we just became friends. So
0: in between then and now, the four of you make a handful of music videos. Yes. You have this working relationship. Inside this movie, which is set in the San Fernando Valley, 1973, I think the year yes. is, you're playing this woman in her early 20s. We meet her as a photographer assistant. On the job, you meet and begin to develop a friendship with this high school student named Gary, who's 15, precocious, ambitious. <laughs> as the film plays out, it's clear she has some arrested development. There's a clear age gap between the two of you, but you both feel like the same age. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to start inside the movie with this because you've had a long-standing theory, as I understand it, that you think whoever we are in seventh grade. Uh, yes is who we're going to be forever.
3: 100%.
0: Where do those two dovetail for you between that theory and this movie?
3: I do believe that because I do feel like I have the same confidence as I did when I was in seventh grade. And when I say I have the confidence of somebody, it means I have zero confidence. (laughs) It means that I'm like literally the girl at the party, like everyone's playing spin the bottle and no one wants to make out with me kind of energy. I just think it was such a formative year of my life. I mean, bar mitzvah season, if we're talking about Jewish vocabulary, bar mitzvah season was a very life-changing scene for me. But Alana Kane, it's interesting because when you meet her, I mean, she has a job. She seems like she kind of knows what she's doing. And then you scratch the surface, like, just a little bit. And it's like, no, she lives with her parents still. And she has no idea what she's doing. And she's very confused about life. And she meets Gary, who on the surface is a teenager who doesn't seem like he has anything going on for his life. And then actually he has a job that's way better than Alana's. He takes care of his brother while his mom is off doing PR for the Hacienda in Las Vegas. And he's kind of actually the more mature one, which is so interesting to me because, I mean, I'm the baby of the family. So I have two sisters that basically have taken care of me my whole life. Even though I'm almost 30, I still feel, again, like I'm in seventh grade and and I never will change.
0: When you decided to say yes to this, how much of yourself did you see in this character?
3: I saw a lot of myself in the fact that she is kind of thrown into these crazy jobs and the way that she... Really does adapt quickly. I think you see it mostly when she's with Joel Wax. I think at that point with Alana Kane, she really needs to get her life together. I mean, she's just driven a U-Haul backwards down, you know, the hills of Tarzana, almost, you know, just escaping life, you know, by an inch. And she realizes, okay, it's time. Like, I need, I need to get my life together. And you see her getting introduced as just like a junior person. And then very quickly, she becomes Joel Wax's right-hand girl that, you know, he, trusts her and cares for her and, and wants her to succeed. And I think that I really do see myself in in that sense that I've worked a million jobs and I really do fall headfirst and I really want to do a good job and I am really hardworking in that sense. I also just love that she knows how to sell a waterbed. Like, I, I mean, my parents grew up selling t-shirts on the boardwalk of Wildwood. So I feel like I have the schmata business kind of <sighs> running through my veins. I can sell anything and I definitely could sell a waterbed. I don't think I could. Really? You could sell a waterbed. I'll sell you a waterbed. Go ahead. (laughs) Do you want to lay in some liquid luxury? The motion of the ocean? I have motion sickness. (laughs) Oh, then this is not for you. Actually, I'll sell you a beanbag chair. You know, you could sell me. What? Dramamine. I'm down. I'll sell you some Dramamine. But even like, even other than that, I mean, I think the thing that I love about Alana is, which I really do connect with, is that she is incredibly protective of the people that she loves. She'll go to the ends of the earth for anyone that she loves and anyone that's on her team. And I feel very much so the same way.
0: Putting a pause on the conversation for a second. We'll be right back with Alana Heim after this quick break.
1: Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JP Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC.
2: The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now.
1: Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. Before the break, you were talking about your side
0: of this story, the Alana character. But on the other end, we have Gary, played by Cooper Hoffman. For him, your character represents that first true love, or whatever we think love is at that age. Mm -hmm. And he's 15 years old, and it makes me think back to you at 15 years old, where I think you fell in love for the first time. There's a high school house party and growing up, your your parents, very respectful, decent people say, wherever you go, you have to bring a gift. Yes. <laughs> and so to a high schooler's house party, you bring...
3: <laughs> I bring a cake. <laughs> How embarrassing is that? See, but now do you understand when I say like I still feel like I'm in seventh grade because literally I was 15 so I was two years out of you know I was I was a sophomore in high school
0: and the same age as Gary and In the this same movie. age as
3: Gary and I'm thinking okay it's my first high school party like imagine me getting ready for my first high school party I'm like putting my makeup on I'm, I'm picking out an outfit and I go oh my god I don't have a gift to bring to this high school party I must make a baked good because that is as good that's like my version of bringing a bottle of wine exactly. when I'm like older
0: some people are worried about outfits you were worried about- Oh, I
3: was like worried about like how embarrassing is it going to be that everyone is going to bring a gift and I'm the one that's going to be the asshole that doesn't bring a gift. Like the host will look at me and just be like, how dare you step into this house where I have offered drinks and fun and you bring me nothing. You are empty handed. How dare you? And so I I made a cake with frosting, literally boxed cake, frosted it, sprinkles bring it to this high school party and of course you know it's not a shocker that everyone was like why did you bring this cake again i did not go out very much this is making me sound so insanely crazy but i was very proud of this cake to the point where i i needed to serve this cake to the party goers that were probably stoned and drunk but i never partook in that i was like i have this cake <laughs> so oblivious to everything going on around me uh and i served a piece of the cake to my first boyfriend.
0: The only person that's really interested in the cake...
3: Is Sam. I'll say his name. His Sam. His
0: name's Sam? <laughs> his name's Sam. I didn't know that part. Yes. That was not planned.
3: It was not planned. I wasn't going to say it, but then I felt like it was fitting. No, his name say was
0: it. Sam. But, but this experience of falling in love at 15, I want to sit with this because that's happening in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's literally set in the valley where you also <laughs> grew up. What is that like as the past kind of converges with this fictional world of a movie?
3: I mean, I think the thing that is so crazy is like watching the movie as a whole now, because while you're making, we were shooting on film, there's, you know, there was not a lot of instances where I could see what we had done, you know, played back to me. It's very hard to do that. Or at least that's what Paul told me and I never asked. (laughs) It seems very hard to play back something film, you know, and... So I didn't really know, like, we would be shooting— this. I obviously knew the succession of the film, and I knew, you know, where what parts went where. But when you actually see it for the first time, I mean, I thought about Sam. <laughs> what did you think? I think it's just so crazy to think about a love that you had when you had no walls. And it only happens once in your life. I truly believe that it only happens once in my life. Once in anyone's life, because it's the first time, it's the first cut— The first cut is the deepest, obviously. The song was right. But you think about this kind of love that's like, that has no walls. You're falling down a rabbit hole that has, you know, you feel like you're drowning and you have no air and and you feel like it's going to last forever. And I did. And just so everybody knows, this is even going to make me sound even crazier. And I'm getting so fucking real with you right now. That relationship lasted three months. (laughs) Three months. That was it. It wasn't even like I said, I love you because we never even said I love you to each other. But it was the first time I had ever looked at someone and said, I like you. And then they said back, I like you, too. And it was the craziest feeling. It felt like fireworks going off in your body. You're like, I had only said I like you to a handful of people before that. And there was never a, oh, I like you too. It was, oh, mm, uh, well, (laughs) uh, okay, interesting. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go to the bathroom really quick. Like, it was very much like that. And so even having that happen for the first time, I mean, it's crazy. It's a crazy feeling. And I mean, at least for me, you can only go through it once and it never happens again. You don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I haven't. I haven't since. And also, this is embarrassing. Like me and Sam are actually friends. <laughs> We're actually very close friends now. He's gonna be very embarrassed if he ever listens to this. But I, I love him. I think he's great, and he's he's a great friend now. But when I think about that time in my life when I was so young and 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 had no walls, it was it was a very cherished time.
0: <laughs> I I do think, the joy of the movie is that it does capture that boundless feeling Mm -hmm. where two people don't know any better, except your character kind of does know because she's older. Gary at 15, like you at 15, they're just winging it.
3: Well, I think the thing that's that's really important with the Gary and Alana relationship is it's not really a lot about this crazy love connection. I think it's more about, like, the universe. This is how I look at it. I mean, even talking about how I met Paul, the crazy story that I just talked about. I mean, I have a crazier story, meeting Cooper, which I will divulge right now. (laughs) Meeting Cooper was insane because me and my siblings were doing music videos for our second album and we had to do a music video for Little of Your Love and of course in true Haim fashion we had no time we had like put it off on the back burner and also we had asked Paul and he was like "I'm I'm in editing for Phantom Thread like please I need to just do my thing and finally, it got to the point where we hadn't, I mean, we we were freaking out and, and we had tried to shoot a music video and it didn't work out. And finally, we just texted Paul with our tail between our legs being like, please, like begging him, like, please, can you just do this music video? Like, we're, we're lost. And he was like, OK, fine, like come to the editing house and we'll figure it out. And so we we went to the Phantom Thread editing house, which was in the valley, of course. I walked in the door and there was Paul and his editor, Andy, and this very large chair and a young man sitting in the chair, and it was Cooper, but I didn't know that yet. I was just was like, "Who's this kid?" And Paul had gotten, you know, he had to go do something, but he had Cooper with him. But Cooper was hungry, and Paul said, "You know, can you just handle Cooper? Can you just get him something to eat?" I was like, "Sure." And it was me, Essie, and Danielle were like, "What do like?" I think he was thirteen or fourteen at the time. We're like, "What do thirteen or fourteen year olds like? What do they like to eat like?" We were, like, down the street from the original Kitsuya in the Valley. (laughs) And we were, like, should we just stay and get some sushi? And we, like, sat down. And I remember Cooper—he's going to kill me for saying this, but I remember Cooper had, like, a retainer. (laughs) And he, like, took out his retainer. And it was, like— and you like put it down on this like napkin just disgusting and the second that that retainer was out it was like so what are we having you want you want some coke should we order some coke do so you want some sushi what do you like sushi means do you like uh, nigiri like, it's just like going through like like Gary very Gary Valentine and i was like what i was like who is this kid He's looking us all in the eye asking his questions so you know what do you what do you like to do on your days like things like that it's just like insanity and I remembered that dinner so vividly. I mean, I this was years before we had even thought of Licorice Pizza. And so when we were casting for Gary, because Paul had asked me to, you know, do this movie and, and we needed to find a Gary. I had auditioned with so many Garys at that point. Like there was so many Garys that, you know, obviously were actor, real actors, like real kid actors that had an IMDb page, like full- credits beyond like way beyond me i mean i had never been in anything so like one credit was more credits than me
0: (laughs) i wasn't gonna say that i
3: know no it's true literally like the only thing i had to my name was music videos and i remember just wanting this overwhelming feeling of like oh you're you're my gary and i never got it with all these other people And then all of a sudden, one day, Paul kind of turned to me and said, you know, like, what about Cooper? And the fact that he could say Cooper's name and me know exactly who it was. I mean, we, we only had met once, basically. I immediately had this, like, burst of like, oh, yes, Cooper. This is, yes, Cooper. And we flew to New York. We read with Cooper. I got that overwhelming feeling. And the thing that I always go about, which I've been thinking a lot about, too, especially since like me and Paul have such a crazy, you know, universal thing where it felt like we were like kind of orbiting around each other, but not colliding. And then finally we did. It kind of felt that way with Cooper, too, where it was like at that point, if we had never shown up to this phantom thread editing house, if Paul didn't get the call that he had to leave, if Paul didn't ask us to grab Cooper food, like all these things that were like. If that day just never happened, I would have never met Cooper. And I honestly don't feel like licorice pizza would have ever been made. And that's what I think that's so important about Gary and Alana is like they meet at Gary's school. She's working for this dick that's a fucking photographer that like slaps her on the ass. She's obviously does not like this job. And she meets this guy and she doesn't know it yet, but you know it by the end of the movie. Like You meet so many people in this world and you never know who's going to stick with you. And that was their, like, oh, they didn't know that their lives were going to get changed, but their lives were changed. They're these, like, two magnets that, like, refuse. Every time you try to pull them apart, the universe just pulls them back together.
0: It's like the making of the movie and then the story of the movie are cosmically aligned about the same idea, which is your life can change in an instant.
3: 100%. When I think back on my life and I think about the people that changed my life... You never know until like way later. It makes me very emotional. It's a crazy scenario.
0: Why emotional?
3: It just makes me emotional in the sense, like how rich my life is with such amazing people. Like I'm so grateful for to meet someone like Paul and to meet Cooper. Like look at this thing that we made that we're so proud of. And and it's all because of like these weird cosmic instances that brought us together. Like it feels like a movie in itself the way that we've all met. And it makes me emotional because I'm just so happy that that I have these two people in my life. And also, my family feels the same way. Even the people that are involved in the movie. I mean, Cooper's whole family is in the movie. Paul's whole family is in the movie. My whole family is in the movie. And like we all kind of joined in as this nuclear family for this whole process. And it's amazing.
0: Well, why don't we sit with a scene from the movie for a second? This is between you and Cooper Hoffman as his character, Gary believes he's on a first date. What are your plans? I don't know. What's your future look like? I don't know. How do you like working at Tiny Toes?
3: I hate working at Tiny Toes. You should start your own business. (laughs) What business should I be in?
0: I don't know, what do you like? I don't know. You're an actress. You should be an actress.
3: So how'd you become such a hotshot actor?
0: I'm a showman. It's my calling. I don't know how to do anything else. It's what I'm meant to do. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've been a song and dance man. Come
3: on. Ever since you were a kid, song and dance man. Where are your parents?
0: My mom works for me.
3: Oh, of course she does. Yes,
0: she does in my public relations company.
3: In your public relations company? Because you have that. Yes. And you're an actor. Yes. And you're a secret agent too.
0: Well, no, I'm not a secret agent. (laughs) That's funny. That was a clip from Licorice Pizza, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. We've been talking about all the ways in which you, Alana, and then the character, Alana, are similar. But in thinking about that scene, the one place where you two diverge is that, from an early age, you had some idea of what you wanted to do. You and your sisters created Chaim in 2007, You're 15, 16 at the time?
3: I think, yeah, I was 16.
0: Five years later, in 2012, you three are touring around the world. And after one particular show in New York, you do this interview. And there's this quote that I wanted to sit with.
3: Oh, God, I'm scared. (laughs) What did I say?
0: The fact that huge bands like this invited us to perform with them is the biggest compliment we could get. It's still hard for me to believe because when we're touring, we're always on to the next show. But sometimes I stop to think about it for a moment and say to myself, God forbid kids my age are still in college thinking about what they want to do in life. While I'm 21, I'm playing with Florence the Machine and Mumford and Sons.
3: (laughs) I said that? (laughs) I mean, it's true. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. When Haim started, it it wasn't like a very easy, like, oh, you know, we started this band and it was a montage plays of like all the cities and crowds. And you know it's like a, it's not an almost famous like that's like the montage. Oh, I haven't actually seen the Queen movie, but it, I'll take your word for it. But yeah, no, it definitely wasn't like that. I mean, there was like a point where my parents sat me down and it was right before I was about to graduate high school. They were like, what are you doing? Danielle was already off playing with bands. As he was in college as he was at UCLA, I didn't get good enough grades to go to college and I really just shit the bet on that one. I'm, unfortunately, I wish I, I you know I wish I was smarter in high school and really paid attention, but I just couldn't. And they asked like, what are you gonna do? And I was like, I want to be in Higham. The shocked face that they had of like, they really wanted me to know, like, just so you know, like, yeah, you want to be in Haim? Haim might not happen. And it's just like that weird thing when you're like younger and you have this like blind optimism, like, I want to be in Haim. And you're like, uh, my parents were like, yeah, n- no, open your eyes a little bit. And so I actually, at that point, really didn't know what I was going to do graduating high school. And I think after that, you know, I went to Valley College, of course, and I worked at Crossroads Trading Company. I was also a nanny. You know, I just like kind of did my thing for a while until Danielle came home. And that's when we really focused on Haim. But even then, so at that point, then we actually played for like another five years. No one wanted to sign us in America. We were told crazy things like you guys should you know dress up like schoolgirls like you should have like a shtick like the amount of crazy shit people used to tell us like when we were coming up um which was terrifying to be like no we don't want to have a shtick thing we just are very adamant about having our own path and we just kind of stuck to it and we went to South by Southwest we were like one of those bands went to South by Southwest and we started out playing to like one person and then I think we played three shows a day for a week and by the end of that week there was a line around the corner and like even after that we were like oh my god this is Crazy! We're doing it. And still no one wanted to sign us. (laughs) Still, like we had heard that our song was being played on the radio in the UK. And then we were like, well, why don't we just go to the UK? And so we basically moved to the UK for a couple of years and just toured the UK and Europe nine times and then put out a record.
0: (laughs) Do you remember the moment when your parents said to you, I think this is going to (laughs) work?
3: They were definitely skeptical. I mean, I think when we were on SNL for the first time, that was a huge deal. Oh, I mean, you know, I've, I've never watched it. This
2: is going to be the first. I'm going to cry.
3: I've never watched <laughs> it. I've always be been first. way too nervous to watch it. Why?
0: <laughs> this is Hi, I'm Performing Don't Save Me on SNL.
3: That's so funny. I've never seen that before. I've always been too nervous. And you know what? I was probably right.
0: <laughs> Even though you say you were nervous, you looked a little nervous there, but I've seen you perform before. You know how you were talking about anytime you go to a party, you have the confidence of a seventh grader? Yes. When you're performing, does that change?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, not on live television, obviously, is what we just heard. <laughs> live television is different. Um, But no, like, I mean, playing live is my favorite part of being in a band, when there's not a camera on me, it's the most free that I've ever been in my life. That's, like, where I'm most confident. But I think it just has to do with, like, the reaction that you get from, like, a crowd. It's very new. Like, playing to big crowds is new. er.
0: Do you know it in the moment? When you're performing, can you feel like a different version of yourself?
3: A hundred percent. And it's like an addicting feeling being on stage. And I feel like any person that you talk to, I mean, at least for me, maybe people don't like touring, but for the people that do like touring, it is like an addicting feeling being on stage because you get such a rush and there's so much energy to the point where like when I step off stage, like... I'm drenched in sweat. And I also like have zero energy. I don't know how the rock stars of the 80s were throwing TVs. I mean, it's probably drugs, but I don't know how after a show for me, I'm like, I have maybe 10 steps in me before I need to just be in a bed and passed out because the anticipation of being on stage even like is crazy. It's the hardest part. It's funny enough. Five minutes before a show, I always go through the same ritual of, like, I have the most anxiety. And it's, like, the time where, like, I talk myself out of everything where I'm, like, why do I do this to myself? Like, this is so terrible. Like, I'm ritual? so nervous. Just telling myself the, the worst things. <laughs> Just being, like, you're terrible. This sucks. I'm so scared. Why? How do I do this? Like, how am I going to step on stage? How am I going to do this? And then the second that I step on stage, it's, like, the line, the witch, in the wardrobe. You're stepping through the wardrobe and you're a completely different person.
0: So some part of the art helps you transcend past your own limitations.
3: Yeah, totally. Like It's weird stepping on stage and having this weird wave of calm when five minutes before you're like having a full-blown panic attack.
0: But didn't you have a similar experience on your first day of shooting Licorice Pizza?
3: Oh my gosh. That was the craziest day. I mean, our first day of filming was with John Peters, played by Bradley Cooper. The first time I saw Bradley Cooper was the first time I heard action. And we, like, showed up to set. It was me and Coop, his, like, band of guys that were his friends. And it felt like there was pure chaos. It kind of felt like I, like, turned my head and I turned back and everyone was gone. All our group of kids looked around like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden you just hear, action! And Bradley Cooper's walking out in his costume and you're just like, oh shit. (laughs) And then we were off to the races and it was like you either sink or you swim. And the first take, I just saw the water. <laughs> I just was just fully drowning. You know, luckily with movies that I love is you can do as many takes as, you know, the director wants, which is great. I mean, with music, if you fuck up, you got to keep going and, you you know, you got to wait for the next show.
0: In a recent interview, you said, I had to drive a U-Haul backwards down a long street. You... Alana probably wouldn't normally be able to do that.
3: No, we got through day one and I was like, "Okay," and now it's my turn and I'm sitting in this 70s U-Haul. Cooper is in the middle. Bradley Cooper is on the far right. And we have a film camera strapped to my side of the door. We have really heavy, big lights strapped to the front of the truck. I hardly could see, but of course, I've got into this zone of, I can do this. Because Paul, of course, gave me like a pep talk and was like, you can do this. If Paul thinks I can do this, I think I can do this. And we drove through, you know, the, the hills of Tarzana and it was so terrifying the thing is, is, like, you go through it once and you're like, oh, I made it. And then it's like, all right, let's turn it around. Let's do it again. And, like, I did it all night. I didn't, But by the time, you know, Cooper talks about it all the time. We're like, in the beginning, I was, like, shaking. And then by the end of it, I had, like, a walkie-talkie. And I was like, Gabby, we're in first. We're ready to go. Break is off. Here we go. And I'm waiting for action. Fully just went for it. I was very comfortable by the end of it. You made
0: it to the other side of this movie. I did. And it was scary and daunting. And and also, I know the first experience, you didn't have your sisters for most of it. Yeah. How do you feel on the other side of something like this?
3: You know, for the first time, I feel older, which is a weird feeling. I mean, I've been the baby of my family for a very long time. And when I'm, I'm with my sisters, I'm the baby of the family. So I kind of feel like this scrappy, younger sister. I mean, I'm affectionately called Baby Hive. That's my nickname. And throughout this process, I feel like I have this new dictionary of life experiences. It feels like an inside out when like a new land opens up in the girl's brain and there's a new set of emotions. And that's kind of how I feel after doing this movie. I still have the confidence of a seventh grader, but I have, I have a little bit more confidence about, you know, doing things on my own.
0: And how does that feel?
3: To go back to my point about seventh grade. So nice to know that like you can grow older, but you know, you still feel like you're 13.
0: <laughs> Young at heart. <laughs> Young at heart. Next year, you go back to your day job of, I of touring. I do. It's
3: weird to talk about it like as if it's like my day job, like as if it's like back to the day job. Like, no, I'm like so excited. I love being in high. I love playing shows. I know I'm very lucky. I'm a very lucky girl. It's not lost on me. Believe me.
0: Since many people haven't, gone back to concerts
3: yet. I know, knock on wood. Please, I really need to go on tour. I miss it so much.
0: This record, Women in Music Part 3, you said, we made this record to be played live. That was our mission statement for the whole album. What song from there are you most excited to play?
3: Selfishly, it's kind of basic because it's like one of the singles, but the last couple shows that we've done, we've played a couple shows and we opened the show with the Steps. And the energy of just hearing three snare hits, like brah, 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 it reminded me of why I love doing this. I remember looking at my sister, thinking about those like life moments where you're looking around and you're like, how the fuck did we get here? Hearing those three snare hits, it's so simple. And watching my middle sister play the drums, we were all kind of like looking at each other, asking each other, like, how the fuck did we fucking get here? Our life could have taken so many different turns. Danielle could have just kept going on and being a touring musician. Esty could have gone on and done, you know, she was at UCLA. She could have done whatever the fuck she wanted. I was kind of confused. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I was a nanny. I was doing Comcast <laughs> jingles. <laughs> Who would have known? And and it really is not lost on me. I mean, we, we say that sentence every show. We're like, damn, I can't believe it. It's unbelievable.
0: This is The Steps by Haim off... Women in Music, part three.
2: Every time I think that I've been taking the steps You and I up-
0: My last question. Next week you turn 30. By the time this comes out, you will be 30. What do you hope for in this chapter turn?
3: Oh my goodness. I mean, I damn, I like I said I was gonna get emotional. I'm like really getting emotional on this podcast right now. I feel like Jesus Christ, you're getting something out of me. But the thing that I learned in these first thirty years of life is that honestly, it's a fucking roller coaster. There is really high highs and really low lows and there's some days where you are just feel like you're drowning and there's some days that you feel like you're floating and my favorite thing that I've learned is that when you're in your high highs which happens rarely I mean but it does happen you got to celebrate your wins because it's hard sometimes to celebrate your wins because you know like you you're just like oh, okay cool like and you move on and you don't really like sit with it and just be like wow what I just did was fucking rad and I was happy Even if it's like I made a really good cup of coffee today and I'm fucking stoked, like my day has started off on a great moment. Celebrate that win. There were some pretty amazing moments that happened in my life, especially with my siblings that we kind of just skirted over and we're just like, oh, like so stressed out all the time, just like on to the next. And, And I feel like celebrating your highs is really important. So when you're at your lows, your lows don't feel so low anymore and i just you know hope i carry that on into my 30s
0: i think you will (laughs) and i want to thank you for sharing
3: the highs and the lows i know the highs were you know this movie the lows were me bringing that cake to the seventh to the to the party
0: (laughs) it was a nice gesture though
3: it was such and it was a good cake it was fun (laughs) fetty so i hope they enjoyed it i mean sam did (laughs)
0: not me but by the way not you Mm -hmm. but
3: next time I'll bring I mean you brought me a cookie next time I'll bring you a cake
0: our team brought you a
3: cookie I I, I will not take credit for it I appreciate it
0: congratulations on the movie speaking of a high thank you and uh, best of luck on the tour
3: thank you so much I'm very excited
0: Alana Haim thanks for coming in thank you that's our show special thanks to tori com narrative pr gillian smith chang camille goldman and of course alana hayham you can find screenings of licorice pizza and upcoming shows from hayham in our show notes at talkeasypod.com. if you enjoyed today's conversation and want to hear more like it i recommend our talks with steven soderberg vicky creeps janelle Monet, lord kevin abstract Philip Baker Hall, Laura Dern, Titus Burgess, and many, many more. To hear those and other Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you do your podcasting. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at TalkEasyPod. If you want to drop us a line, feel free to email us at TalkEasyPod at gmail.com. If you want to support the show by purchasing one of our mugs, they come in cream or navy, or our vinyl record with Fran Lebowitz, you can do so at talkeasypod.com slash shop. That's talkeasypod.com slash shop. If you're not looking to buy anything, but want to support us in other ways, the best thing you can do is share the show with a friend. The second best thing you can do is rate this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Reviewing the show on these platforms is still the best way for new listeners to find Talk Easy. Speaking of, this show would not be possible without our incredible team. Talk Easy is produced by Caroline Reebok. Our executive producer is Janik Sabravo. Our associate producer is Caitlin Dryden. Today's talk was edited by Clarice Guevara and mixed by Andrew Bastola. Our engineer is Tim Moore, and we tape out of York Recording here in Los Angeles, California illustrations are by chris Shenoy, video and graphics by ian chang derek Gaberzak, ian jones and ethan sineka special thanks to patrice lee kaylin ung shiloh fagan nikki spina and callie syringis i'd also like to thank the team at pushkin industries justin richmond heather Fain, mia labelle maggie taylor nicole morano maya kanig carly migliori jason gambrell jacob weisberg and malcolm gladwell I'm Sam Fragoso. Whether you're returning to Talk Easy after our brief hiatus or joining us for the first time, thank you for being here. We'll be back next week with New York Times journalist Ezra Klein. Until then, stay safe and so long.